Let's go. All right. Here we go. Last 29. Almost done. Not that anybody's counting. Uh, all right. Last 29. Easements. Uh, all right. So here's what we're doing today. We're actually on time on the schedule. So, um, yeah, woohoo, you get to read everything. Uh, so. <laughs> Bonus. Uh, so, we're going to do baseball three cases today uh, and uh, baseball publications Schwab versus Timmons and Warsaw versus Chicago metallic ceilings. The next three classes deal with servitudes, right? So, servitudes are um, sort of an interesting form of property. Well, particularly easements are typically understood to be property rights. Uh, covenants maybe less so. Uh, but they, they all um, uh, are deals, usually deals between neighbors, but not always deals between neighbors, uh, as we'll find out. Um, and they are, um, so they, they occupy an interesting place with respect to uh, our property ideas. And in, a little, in some ways, they're just like contracts, but in other ways, they're not at all like contracts. And so... Here's sort of the checklist of, of things that I, I want you to get out of understanding this concepts we're going to go over, right? So sort of the ingrowth versus appurtenant easements, implied easements versus easements by necessity, um, uh, prescriptive easements, easements by estoppel, negative easements, and misuse of easements. We're not going to get all through all of those today. This is today and tomorrow, um, uh, but at least the top three um, we're going to get through uh, today, okay? All right, any questions before we move on? All right, baseball publications, baseball publications uh, case. Nettie, you're up. So I think this is actually from Google, like, uh, Street View. I think this is the, although this case takes place in the 30s, I think this is the actual building uh, where this takes place, so. <laughs> Still a billboard. What? It's real. Doesn't it feel real? All right, go ahead. <laughs> yep. Good. 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 So they sign this deal, and then he sends in the first payment, and the defendant sends it back. Okay. Good. He actually doesn't seem to be claiming that he has an easement, but he, the court ends up giving him something like that. We'll talk about the categorization in a minute. But in any event, what he wants is specific performance. What's, what type of specific performance? Yeah, he wants to get the sign put back up and continued for the rest of, of the deal, of the term of the deal that he thought. that, that I argue that the lease doesn't get him what he would ultimately want here because it's revocable, and after the apparently one year has passed, then it's, then it's done. Okay. Anyone agree, disagree? Yeah? Um, I would think it would be a like, specific performance because the lease transfers possession of the property from a specified time. Good. Yeah, I think. 
court never sort of delves into this very deeply because it decides sort of right at the outset that this is indeed not a lease. I think that, that a lease might well, I mean, what's the, what's the classic characteristic of a lease? It's what Brittany says, which is it is a, op, is a transfer of possession of the property for the specified period of time given the rent, things like that, right? So it's a, it's a breaking apart of sort of the possessory rights with the underlying ownership rights or title rights. Um, and I think that if this was held to have been a lease for that prescribed period of time, then, then you might well be able to get specific performance, i.e. put the sign back up. Now, there's, a, there's an issue of whether or not this would be interpreted as a lease that was um, renewed at all times. Um, uh, but I think if it was held a lease, they might get specific performance. But the court immediately says this is not a lease. Why, Nettie? Just sort of brushes this aside. Good. Exactly. Right? So in some, the court says this cannot be a lease because it is not, it, it doesn't possess enough. Right? It doesn't possess or it doesn't transfer enough of the possessory interests. It merely gives uh, the plaintiff, in this case, uh, the right to maintain the sign on the wall. It doesn't give the plaintiff any more than that, which is what would be required for this to be a lease. So it's a license, maybe. Right? So, Nettie, if it's a license, then what? Can, can they get, what kind of relief do you think you're going to get a, in a license? Yeah, the court's pretty clear on that, and I think the court is correct that you're, you're extremely unlikely to get any sort of specific performance from a license. There might be contract damages of some sort, um, but you're not going to get your specific license. And licenses are typically revocable um, uh, at will, um, so uh, subject to obviously the cases we did earlier in the course about licenses, right? So, um, so there's that, and, but the court finds a third category, right, an easement. Right? So, so Nettie, what is an easement? Uh, an easement is when an owner gives away his rights to exclude um, someone for a set period of time. Okay. Good. And how is that different than a lease? Because um, it talked about, like, with the bundle of sticks analogy, that an easement you just get one stick and it's in you particularly for particular reasons, whereas with a lease you get kind of a full bundle of sticks. Exactly. Right. Easements are used limited in the sense that they're for, for use and often a very specific use, um, uh, you know, use for driving your car to get to your, your garage or a use here uh, for um, using the wall simply to put up a, a billboard, right? So a, a more specific type of use and not sort of the full bundle of possessory rights that might be granted that's typically granted with respect to a lease, okay? Um, so what's important about finding it to be a easement rather than a license? Sure, and why? Good. Yeah, I mean, the idea here is that an easement is a real property right, right? And it's a property right that will then be enforced um, via uh, a court of equity, via an injunction. Why should we call these things property rights, do you think? I mean, why not just say, I, I mean, well, so let me back up. Do you think this is right? I mean, do you think this is the correct analysis? 
that the court got here that decide that, oh, it's clearly not a lease. He doesn't give enough rights to be a lease. Um, and so the most natural thing would seem to be this is just a license to use the wall as a, you know, during the period as a, uh, as a billboard. But the court says that's actually not it. Think the court's right? I mean, what do you think the party's intended? Um, my, when I read it, I thought it, that the party's intent was more for it just to be a license and that it would be something that was revocable. Um, although they do say that it is renewable for four years, so perhaps like that's kind of what the courts are looking at, saying like you granted him the right for these four years, and so it's right. Of course, you could have right. I mean, I. So what is the key language that, that, that the court seems to hang on that determines this is a easement rather than a license? And I don't think it's the four-year renewable term part of it. Yes, it's this sort of exclusive right and privilege language, right? And why is that inconsistent with a license? Uh, because a license is uh, revocable, and so you can't have that exclusive right. I don't think it's the revocability. What is it that, that triggers this? Yeah, it sounds like what you're transferring here by saying it's an exclusive right and privilege is a right, a property right, an in rem right um, to use this under, under certain circum or under the particular circumstances. And therefore, it's different. It's a property right and not merely a contract right uh, that the parties intended to transfer. Now, I think it's questionable about whether that's really what they intended. This seems like a bit of an odd uh, result. Um, and the implications are obviously, one, that the easement uh, means that you can get specific performance, which is a little bit unusual in these contract dispute situations. Um, what else does it mean, the fact that he now has an easement? Does it mean anything else? just means he gets specific performance, or does, does the plaintiff get anything else? Anyone? Travis. Sure, but I think that a license would probably give him that anyway, right? I mean, not the specific performance part, right? But so, so yes, so that you get the specific performance aspect of it. But beyond the, the ability to enforce the, the Bolton or the billboard with a specific performance remedy, what else do you get? I don't think it means he doesn't have to pay, you know, because that seems to be clear that he's getting the easement as long as he pays, right? Are you able to transfer it to Okay. I, I don't know the answer to that. I'm just wondering if, if I have an easement to put up my billboard, but Bill's billboard company wants to put up a billboard, am I allowed to transfer it to Bill? Yeah. And the, the answer is oftentimes yes, and we'll talk about the difference between engrossed and appurtenant easements in a moment. Um, and, and so it very well might be that you could transfer. More importantly, what happens if the person who owns the building trans, uh, sells the building? Yeah, the easement's going to go with the sale, uh, whereas if it was just a straight license, then it would not. It would probably extinguish right upon the sale uh, of the property, right? So that's a... Uh, uh, another important uh, difference that the, the easement provides, right? Um, so there are two kinds of easements that we typically talk about, uh, easements in gross and easements uh, appurtenant, right? The easements appurtenant are uh, more common, 
and were, were the ones that were most often recognized, well, were the only ones recognized sort of in the English common law. Easements and gross are very much an American uh, phenomenon. Um, why? So first of all, Nettie, which, which is which? Tell us about the differences here. Appurtenant. Yes, yeah, so easements are pertinent usually, usually, not always, but almost always occur with neighbors, right? And so you will have, say, the, the classic case, you have an easement to go to drive across your neighbor's land because that's where your driveway goes to the, to the public road. Um, that is, that's an easement pertinent to your, uh, to the property that, that you own. Um, and it will, of course, transfer with the property. It's part, essentially an add-on to your property right, right? So that's why the way we think of it. It's just a, a, an additional stick that you get as part of owning the property is this easement right to cross your neighbor's property, say, for the, the driveway. An easement in gross uh, is something that you, as an individual, contract for, right? It's so to it's a specific contract holder uh, gets this uh, right over, or gets this use right, this easement right. So why do you think these were, the easements in gross were, were frowned upon, if not absolutely disallowed in, in the common law? So what's wrong with them? What would, what would be potentially quite problematic? Think particularly about historically with easements in gross. Uh, some of the themes that we've talked about in this course. Anyone? Good question, Eric. Well, tell me why. What's what's the problem? So what is it about an easement in gross that might be problematic? And yes, you're right. I think as we're getting better about recording, we have less concerns about that. But what's the, what's the issue? It's, it's a little bit different, Phil. Perhaps if you um, are able to give rights to people, you might, be able to, uh, you might be able to give them to very specific demographics. And so you might only give rights in general to one type of person. Well, but we can disallow that by saying you can't, you know, that the courts will disallow um, uh, contracts that are, or the agreements that are in bad public policy. Okay. You, you might. So explain why that, that is a concern. Right, but if I go to buy an easement to have a uh, sign put up on the side of your building and there's already a sign there, that doesn't seem like much of a problem, right? Because I certainly know that there's a sign there, right? question is whether um, an easement was created. Right, but that's a, that's a necessity, right? That's, so there's a, a necessity right. I guess in your hypo would be like the reason we couldn't 
Okay. Okay, good. Well, you're right that certainly easements are going to confuse the possibility when we talk about liability uh, and, and other tort issues. But, but let me ask it this way. So in the common law, if I, if I needed an easement over my neighbor's land in order to connect my garage to the street, that was available. But if I just wanted as some person to have the right to drive over this guy's land, they wouldn't allow me to get that. That was not a recognized right that I could obtain. I mean, obviously, I could pay a license, but I couldn't get an easement. Why? Like, why do you think courts didn't do that second thing? Okay, and why? It's still an easement. I want an easement. I just want, I want an easement. It's just you can create too many different types of easements. Okay, maybe. Maybe the courts are concerned that there's a bunch of different ways that these could arise that might confuse um, uh, and raise the costs of the system. Okay. Isn't it like fraud, like you don't know who has which easement? So if you see a car driving over your land, you don't know if that person is the person that has the easement to drive your land? Good. I mean, I think it is about sort of information costs, which is if, you know, if we're going to stick to easements appurtenant and you want to figure out whether or not a piece of land you're buying has has encumbrances, has easements on it, you have a limited area in which to try and figure this out, right? You're basically looking at the neighbors and seeing is there a use right that they have over the land. Um, whereas once you get into easements and gross, sort of the, it could be anybody, right? It could be anybody walking off the street purchasing some sort of use right that's an easement that travels with the land and then you don't know anything about it potentially and you've purchased a property and all of a sudden shows up and says, oh, I get to park my car here, right? So that's a problem, right? That's an information cost problem that's going to make transferability hard. It's going to raise transaction costs. It's going to create disputes. And as a, as a property system, we might not want to do it. Now, in the U.S., why are easements and gross a U.S. thing? What is it that's so important about them that, that we do it in the U.S.? Christine. Exactly, exactly, right? So we had a particular problem in the U.S. and we were trying to build out railroads, right? And, and the land was mostly owned at this time uh, and people were reluctant to give the railroad company a fee simple. Um, why do you think? It's also typically forever, but it might be just psychological, right? I mean, well, it is less rights, right? I mean, it's just the specific use right only for the railroad uh, use, um, and, and sort of that's the extent of it. So uh, you could see how it might be more attractive to a landowner. So that, that was a major impetus behind the courts um, agreeing to allow easements and gross so that you could – um, give a grant to not your neighbor, but a grant to this company, this railroad company, who would come and then purchase the easements uh, uh, that they needed all along the country. So this is uh, reasonably common in the case of, of railroad. Also, billboard advertising was uh, a pretty um, uh, common use for it as well. Okay. So again, we talked about this. Is this the right holding? Right. Again, the court seems very concerned about trying to categorize this properly and really. Hangs, itself, uh, hangs its decision on the particular exclusive rights 
uh, sort of language. Um, I mean, should baseball publishing, the billboard company, should they get specific performance? Like, does that seem justifiable? I mean, you guys have studied specific performance elsewhere. Does this seem like a good case for specific performance? I mean, it's a unique block of the city, and it's showing the billboard. Think it is? Yeah. No, there's probably an adequate remedy at law. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it seems like pretty questionable, right? It doesn't seem like a particularly special. Seems like, I mean, do you think there are probably other walls in the area that could be used for billboards? Yeah, damages for, you know, whatever cost it was that they lost because it got taken down. Yuri? Once the court decides this is a property right, an easement, then they're into injunctive relief, right? So, but that doesn't still mean that we might disagree and say, look, this is just a license because they didn't deserve. I mean, uh, you're right that, that once we decide it's an easement, they get the injunction, right? Uh, and the question is whether or not they truly deserve the injunction. Um, is this really, I mean, do you really think you're signing, when you're signing a rental agreement for a billboard, are you getting a right to have the billboard there at all times and and, uh, uh, and get specific performance for it? No? They were sending in these checks and the other people just kept returning them. Isn't that pretty clear, like the repudiation of the contract? It would seem to be. The court didn't seem, the court seemed to think that once that first ad agreement was signed, um, that the fact that they kept paying, even if the payment, I mean, you're allowed to take money and tear it up, right? Uh, and that's sort of the way the court viewed it. Is it is it in fact the plaintiffs were paying all along? What the defendant was doing with the money is not of consequence. The, they signed the deal, and the fact that they they didn't do it uh, seemed not to matter that much to the court. But yes, it does. As a matter of contracts, what do you think? I, I think it pretty <laughs> clearly shows that the contract was breached by breach or never formed. I mean, that's the question, right? Yeah. Um. Well, even the first payment, they apparently, I mean, they signed it, but then they didn't even accept payment one, right? Which sometimes you might argue that contract isn't fully formed until the first payment happens. I don't know. Now, if, now if, I am not providing contracts advice, by the way. If the, if the defendants had taken the billboard down, like, say, within a week after the billboard first went up, would they have had a stronger case? Because like, this went on for like three years. So what would your argument be for the defendant that it was taken down just a couple of weeks later? That, or, or better yet, uh, because the, uh, the billboard wasn't even put up for a few weeks, maybe when they come to put the billboard up, they call the cops, right? Wouldn't that be the, the right thing to do if you're the, if you're the, the homeowner, yeah. right? And then, so that seems to be more indicative of an agreement that was never actually consummated, right? I mean, that would be, I think, your argument, is that there, we didn't actually agree to anything. We, you may have thought we did, but clearly, since I called the cops on you right away, uh, you had no, no right to come on my land, right? But they didn't. And yes, you're right. I think it, it probably has to do with something that they didn't do anything for quite a long time except for return these payments. It's easy. Um, do we have any 
more detail about what was specifically in the contract because there seems to me to be a world difference in the party's intents if I'm telling somebody that sure you can put up a billboard on my wall but just any outward billboard as opposed to having specific restrictions because I'm going to have a big issue with hey come to my kitten murdering factory billboard versus a McDonald's this way billboard. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I guess so you're saying that, that the, you would not take money from the kitten murdering factory? No, I totally take money from the kitten murderers. McDonald's never. But okay. My, my question is that you asked in the PowerPoint about the party's intent, and I don't sure. know if this is an open-ended billboard to put up whatever you want, or whether or not there were any restrictions placed on what kind of content. Right. So it appears that the plaintiff is engaged in the business of controlling locations for billboards and signs. Well, probably at the time the agreement was made, the plaintiff didn't actually know. It's quite possible the plaintiff didn't know at that point what kind of billboard was going to be placed there, right? Um, there's certainly nothing in the case, I don't think, that suggests that there was any specific language limiting the types of, of signage that can go there. Again, what we do know is that they said exclusive right and privilege, which is what I think really got the, um, you know, the defendants here into, into trouble, right? If they hadn't said that clause, and I think the court would have said, well, this is just a license. It can be revoked at any time uh, and the, the, the use right removed, all right? the way I would have interpreted it, right? I mean, I would have said that exclusive right means I'm not, you know, just that it's, you're the only one who gets the right to sell the billboard space here. Um, I mean, there's, you know, exclusive contracts are fairly common. We generally don't think, but I think here, you know, this exclusive right and privilege in connection, you know, right near the sentence that says maintain it on the wall made the court think it, that you're giving something like a property interest, right? When in fact, quite plausible that they were just trying to say, we're not going to, you're the only one who can put billboards up. They needed the interest in the land, and then the license just says it excuses acts done by one on land. So clearly, like, they weren't just coming on the land and then the company, with the person that owned the wall was just saying, like, oh, well, that's okay. I don't but know. isn't that exactly what they were saying? Come on the wall, put your billboard up, and then go away. So it's not that they were just excusing the acts that they did. It's not like they were like, I didn't let this happen. I didn't know this was going to happen or let it happen, but I'll, you know, now that I know, it's okay. They knew that they, the contract shows they knew that it was happening before. I don't know. I think an easement like fits perfectly. And I, I guess, I don't know if you're worrying because it's like a bit strong and then it gives them specific performances. I, that might be why. But it seems like it fits perfectly. Like the intent was that this person would come into your land and they put this billboard on your wall. Like that was the right that they had to do. And that's the only thing they can do. They can't destroy the wall or anything. That's sure. Seems like it fits perfectly, even though it might Okay. Be. No, that's fair. I mean, that's a fair point. It could be. I mean, certainly the court thinks that it fits best like this, uh, even though they labeled this thing, of course, as a lease, right? They had the lease number in the bottom. Mm -hmm. um, I have some pertinent versus ingress. Okay. Kind of almost would fit perfectly into one of your charts. Okay. So later chart? Should we deal with it later or now? Okay. Is there a chart about it later? Uh, no, this is where we talk about no, 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 print. Yeah. <laughs> I can make a chart. First of all, kind of like what are the logistics of deciding which one you go into with someone, and does it? At some point, it seems like it would have to matter who the parties were. Like the examples in the book, give it 
Um, owner X has a right to use a, owner of lot X has a right to use a driveway on lot Y. If A owns X, he has a right. This is for for um, a pertinent. If he sells to B, then B has a right and A loses it. But what if the owner of Y changes? Does it right. Well, the issue is at the time it was formed, if the um, if it's a if it's a right that's granted to the property, right? So that's the way I think is easiest to think about it, right? If the if the use right we're giving is one that's related to the property, here the ability to move from your driveway to the road, right? Then that's an uh, uh, easement appurtenant, right? If it's instead just to somebody who's not a neighbor who's totally disconnected, then that's the easement in gross case, right? So that's the only relevant categorization there, right? Well, we would at least want them recorded, right? Because in both cases, you would want to have the recording so that we would have, you know, an understanding of what the titles were and who owned what with respect to the to the use rights of the property. Good. So how could I get rid of this? So let's say now you want to this uh, the wall owner here wants to stop the easement early, right? So it's an easement. Uh, it, it appears that there's specific performance available, but they don't. They just really don't want. It's a it's a kitten killing factory, and they just don't want it uh, on the wall. What can they do? What do you think they can do? I mean, are they are they out of luck? I know. That's a law, law professor trick, right? Yeah. <laughs> no. All right, that's fine. Maybe a co-counsel will help you. I mean, what what's the wall owner's argument? What would you do? Possible, possible, right? But here it probably wouldn't work because the sign's there, right? So not not gonna work. What else could I do? But I agreed to it. I can't hardly say it's a nuisance. I didn't know it was gonna be a kitten killing factory. Uh, tenuous, tenuous, possible, but tenuous. Exactly. That's probably the easiest thing, right? It's just to say, here's some money, give it back. It's a property right. Like most property rights, it could be sold, uh, purchased, so I could purchase it back. If I don't want my neighbor driving over my driveway anymore, I can pay to have him stop. on how it was formed, if it came as part of their property, right, then they might not pay. They would have presumably already paid as part of the price that they paid for the original lot, right? Or I might just purchase uh, a easement right from my neighbor. I mean, you can do that. You can just go to your neighbor and say, I need to drive over your driveway. It'd be a lot more convenient, or, you know, use your driveway. It'd be a lot more convenient. I'll pay you 100 bucks a year, and that's an easement. You know, you can get an easement now uh, for doing that, okay? And we could end it at some point, right, if the parties agree to end it uh, for, for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Does this, could this have like adverse possession then where I guess if you don't want to have to buy it back or create a legal right, you could just say I 
your permission to use my driveway. So that way, whenever you want to stop that, you can just say, I Yes, and in fact, the third case we'll do actually deals with that specific circumstance. So, okay? Yes? Says no. Yeah, well, it's an easement. It's a property right, like any other property right. It's a bilateral monopoly, and they're, yeah, I mean, it's, they're in trouble. I mean, they can, they can, um, I don't know, I think at that point you have to wait. In this case, it appears that the court thinks that the easement only is going to last four years, so it would eventually end, right? But easements can, in theory, last forever. They're, they can be part of the deed. Okay? All right. All right, Schwab versus Timmons. Schwab versus Timmons. So here's the bluff line here, right? And they own these parcels. There's the McCormick parcel. They're also parties to the suit. So what's the problem we've got? Yeah, so here there's a public road down here. There also appears that there's a public road or was a public road. That's a little bit unclear. Here, it also appears that there's probably a public road out here somewhere, but we'll talk about those in a minute. So what do they want? Exactly. What they need is they need an easement over the Timmins parcel in particular uh, and for to extend this private road that the, all the landowners communally own along this property uh, or along this area uh, into their properties up here so that they can then use this road to get down to the public road. Right? All right. So, um, problem? Okay. Because they had, um, in order to get a necessary easement, you have to show common ownership of the two parcels prior um, to the severance. And they argue that the fact that the, the United States owned them at one point uh, commonly sort of qualifies there. Uh, but the court comes back and says, no, you actually gave away your access to that other public road on the right when you sold or bequeathed or whatever. Sort of eastern part of your land. Okay, good. All right, so we'll unpack that a little bit. They're asking for either of two things, which are, which are pretty close in nature. They're asking for an easement by implication or, in the alternative, an easement by necessity. So what is an easement by implication? Um, implication is when there's a separate, uh, separation of title. I mean, there was a use before the separation took place that um, was really sort of obvious and just made sense so that it was necessary to be beneficial enjoyment of the land. Okay, good, right? So this is the easement by implication is when at the time the properties were divided. So O owns a bigger lot, O then divides the lot and either keeps both or, or keeps one and sells one or maybe sells both either way. Um, and there's been, there's a pre-existing use here, this driveway, which predates the separation of the two lots. An obvious 
uh, use of the land and has, has done so for a long time, and therefore it is, is deemed to be, even if that easement isn't expressly part of anyone's grant, it, is, it can nonetheless be found to have been there by implication because of the pre-existing uses. Okay? Uh, and again, the classic example here would be the, the driveway. So, so given this scenario, what do you think their argument is for an easement by implication? They argue that the private road um, has existed um, and has been used in that way and that therefore they should be allowed to use it to get to that. Right. So when do they have to show that, though? Prior to it all being partitioned. Exactly, right? So they have to show, in order to get an easement by implication, they have to show that this private road was used um, uh, in a significant way when the government owned all, these were originally all government lots, and the government is the one who subdivided them. And so in order to show, in order to win their Im implied easement argument, they have to be able to show evidence that this road had been used, had been extended up into their lots uh, during the period when the government had the property as the common owner. Can they show that? No. They don't, they're not able to show any of that sort of, uh, prior existing use, um, and and so therefore they don't they don't win on that ground. All right. So they still have one more possibility though, and that's the easement by necessity. And what's what is an easement by necessity? Um, so that's the piece where they have to show common ownership prior to the severance, and the owner who now owns it can't access his or her property. Okay. So common ownership, and then that common ownership later. Uh, creates a landlocked parcel, and the only use, enjoyment, uh, efficiencies available are if we provide some sort of connection here to a, to a public road. So back to our um, uh, setup here. Uh, what's their, what is their argument here for easement by necessity? Um, they argue, once again, that the United States was the um, common owner. Good. So that satisfies that. Yeah, so lot two, lot three, and lot four, all of which were sold off, I guess, two first, then three, then four. Yeah. Um, and then they said, what's the So what's their, e they, now they, so they have common ownership, and then now what do they have to show? Um, that, they, that they can't access. That they're landlocked, right? That they're, that the only way of getting to their land is uh, by uh, getting this easement across the, the parcel, the Timmins parcel, to connect to the private road, right? And the court says no there, and why? Uh, it kind of implied that they weren't trying hard enough and that it was on a lake, so... Well, there were, the court said they, they had several problems with it, right? One is they doubted whether it was truly necessary. What did the court say were the other options? There's always boat travel. Good. Or they could build a road up over the bluff and, and, and connect themselves somehow here. Now, the problem with building up over the bluff is what? Um, well, they don't own that land. Exactly. They don't own this lot either. Why? They, they gave it away, right? So the court says two problems here. One is... They were not, in fact, landlocked at the time the government sold off the parcels because apparently there's, you can either, it's a little unclear from the, from the map 
whether or not the, the court was talking about this road ending right here, which means that, that maybe these parcels connected there, or if there's yet another road somewhere out here uh, that these connected through. But the Schwab parcels originally were this entire piece, and then they either gave away or sold the piece above the bluff, uh, and so separated those two. And so the court says, you landlocked yourself. The government didn't landlock you. You landlocked yourself, and so we're not going to give you a easement by necessity because of something you did to yourself, right? Um, and so that's so that's problem one. Problem two: the court doesn't seem to think it's all that necessary anyway, right? Um, okay. So what do they do? Like what what can they do? Right, so they're not going to win um, on the basis of, of going to the court. Uh, it seems that, well, at least it seems like the court isn't going to give them the easements uh, by implication or necessity that they were hoping for. What can they do? Um, <coughs> well, they tried to make a deal with the private landowners, and that, did that work? Make a they wouldn't be in court, right? They wouldn't be trying to get the easement uh, by necessity. So, I don't know. What would you recommend? They come to you and say, what do we do now? We're sort of shot down. Buy a, buy a nice boat. Maybe. I don't know. Anybody got ideas for them? Alex? been using essentially an extension to the private road across uh, the Timmins parcel. So maybe there's some, uh, you know, a prescriptive easement that might be available, but of course if that was, they probably would have tried to use that, right, because that's free uh, and easier. So, but that's true. Maybe keep using it is one example, right, see if they'll just let you keep using it, uh, in which case if you can beat out the statute of limitations, you might, might get it. Josh? I'm not sure. And it's more of a question, but if they sold the property to somebody else, could the par uh, party coming in and bought it get an easement by necessity because they didn't sell away their rights? Of okay, not a bad idea. So they, you would argue they would have a stronger, the next party in interest might have a stronger case for easement by necessity because they weren't the ones who landlocked themselves. It would at least take away that argument, right? Okay, good, yeah, no, good. And in fact, um, it would be substantially stronger vis-a-vis uh, -vis potentially this lot here, right, where they could claim um, that there was a common grantor, the Schwabs, who then subdivided and landlocked this one, and so therefore the easement by necessity might in fact be a relatively strong case over this one. Now, of course, the downside with going over this parcel is what? The bluff, right? So as a physical matter, getting the road up and over the bluff, they said, was going to be prohibitively expensive, but it's possible, right? So good. Anything else? Offer more money to the Timmons, right? So there's, you know, the easy possibility. What else? Think outside the box here.
Okay. Get eminent domain. How would we want to do that? So if you're leasing it, though, you're going to lose your, I mean, you don't get your nice beachfront house anymore if you lease it away. So if you can't get your beachfront house, then you just want to screw over your neighbors at this point. All right. There's, there's a property lawyer in action. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that, it's true. I think eminent domain might be a possibility. What would you try and do? Okay. As some sort of hook, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, it might work. Um, you could try. You could lobby, you know, lobby the local state government to, I mean, and in fact, it, it appears that they tried to do that, right? One thing they tried to do is they went to the local government and they asked them to do what? Yeah, to essentially convert the private road into a municipal road and extend it to their property, right? They tried, they made the case to the local government to do that. That would, of course, solve their problem, right? Because then the government would have to get eminent domain to, to do that um, and would, would be uh, – and then we could get their road. The government denied that, um, so that, that didn't seem to work either. Um, they're in a lot of trouble, right? I mean they've got a landlocked property on the water, um, and they've got to figure out a way to get to it. Probably they're just going to have to pay whatever the tenants want, I would think. Um, maybe they could – try and, and see, since this may still be family, they could try and see if they could get an easement there and build up the bluff. But of course, that might cost more than just being able to deal with the, the Timmons. Again, an example of you know, these, these neighborly relations that go bad are going to be deep trouble for everybody. But won't they just suck, shut down the nuisance? I'm not sure that's going to work. I mean, again, harming the harming the, the Timmons isn't probably isn't going to help. I would say you got to be really nice to the Timmons, take them, bake them a lot of cookies, and see if that's going to happen. So we have a so there's a couple things that I want to note here. One is easement by necessity, right? Courts, the, the case doesn't go into this um, in detail, but it's important to understand that courts are much more reluctant to find easements by necessity than easements by implication. Why do you think? Why would a court be much more reluctant have, have, uh, to find an easement by necessity? Well, if you purchase that blue plot, plot then you, you know ahead of time that Okay, good, right? So it seems like there's a lot more notice in the uh, ease, but why? Why is there more notice in this case? What is it that you know when you purchase that lot? Well, you know there's no road that goes to Yeah, exactly. In the easement by implication case, there is a pre-existing use, right? So, so that's why courts are more lax on the easements by implication because there's a pre-existing use there that suggests a form of notice, whereas easements by necessity, there isn't a notice uh, and so, therefore, that's, it's, it's more problematic from a variety of perspectives, and so the court um, will do it. So the other thing to know about easements by necessity is so let's say that O win or B wins this case and gets to put a driveway across O's land because it's necessary, because O is otherwise landlocked. 
or sorry, B is otherwise landlocked. If then another road comes in and allows B to connect directly, then the easement extinguishes. So easements by necessity only last as long as the necessity lasts. So they can be they can extinguish themselves in a sense. If B was able to figure out if there's a new road or if B expanded the property to reach a different road, uh, then that easement would extinguish. Okay? So just a couple of other things on easements by necessity. All right. So we also, the court is also pretty clear here that it's, it's going to be a lot harder for grantors to claim easements by implication and necessity. The basic idea here is that um, it's one thing to say somebody who maybe unknowingly purchased a, land, a landlocked piece of property, right, and to give them a necessity, an easement by necessity uh, when they didn't realize that this was going to be a problem. It's quite another to give an easement by necessity to somebody who did it themselves, right, um, and, and to be later claiming, you know, for example, if, if B sold off this lot and then later claims, oh, by the way, I need an easement by necessity because I just landlocked myself. Courts are very reluctant to do that um, because you're getting, you're essentially getting something that should have been part of the deal from the beginning, uh, and and uh, and that's um, it seems unfair, right? So the courts also why limit easements by necessity to the common grantors? By this, this requirement, which, which we have, which Laura stated properly, that there be a common grantor at the time of the landlocking. I mean, if, if the purpose of the doctrine is just to prevent landlocking, then why have the common grantor? Anytime it's landlocked, it's landlocked and give them an easement by necessity, right? What is it that you think is, is the deal with requiring a common grantor? It's a little bit of puzzle, right? I mean, why? It's a common law. It's been in there hundreds of years. Any ideas? I mean, part of the deal, part of the idea here might be that this is trying to approximate what the intent of whoever it was that split these things apart was at the time, right? I mean, you sort of have to think, what was the grantor thinking when he or she separated these properties and maybe they were indeed thinking there would be an easement and somehow that didn't get communicated, didn't actually happen or whatever. And so maybe that you can view these easements by necessity as an, as an attempt um, to put effect for the, the party's actual intent, uh, notwithstanding the fact they didn't do it. So I think that's probably the best reason for a common grantor requirement. The other reason is, is that it does limit the scope of, of easements by necessity. I mean, the courts are, you know, courts very reluctant to give out these, these easements. Why? I mean, is that, is that the right public policy? I mean, now the Schwabs end up with a landlocked piece of property. I mean, yes, they're, you know, they got some blood on their hands. They did it to themselves, but still, is this the right public policy? Isn't that what it's incentivized more? Um, registering our easements with deeds because they kind of stated that people were less likely to actually write down easements within deeds because they assumed some sort of labor with this, so you're incentivizing registration. Good, right, yep. By being very strict about implied or necessary easements, i.e. unwritten easements, 
Um, we're going to make it very, very important that people write these things down. They record them. They make sure that they're recorded, that they are part of the property rights. Since they are important pieces of property rights, we don't want them floating around uh, without uh, being written down. And so courts are going to be very reluctant to do that. Yeah. Bonus for us, yeah, exactly. Good, exactly. See? Exactly. You're 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 forcing him to allow people to uh, to use the, the property in, in this particular way. So uh, one interesting thing that a lot of states have done is is explained in Note Five on five eight or nine eighty six, and that's a private eminent domain, right? Um, so about half the states have this where you can go and if you have a, a, a landlocked or otherwise uh, uh, inaccessible parcel of land, you can usually to some government body um, for essentially the, the easement the, to uh, get an easement right. Um, you have to pay for it, uh, and there's usually some calculation of the fair market value, uh, and, um, and then you get it. So here, if this was in, in, K, in, uh, in effect for the Schwabs, they would presumably apply, um, pay the money, and get their, their easement across the Timmins parcel. Is that a better system? I mean, it certainly enhances the, the Schwab's property value. Is it, is it good overall? Steve? <laughs> property available and more efficient, I guess. Good. Yeah, it expands the realm of properties that could be used to, you know, higher and better uses. And now there's a, a beautiful section of, of uh, lakefront property that can be accessed by road instead of by climbing up over the bluff on your hands and knees. Uh, but it's still doing the same exact thing to the, to the people that don't want the easements. Yeah. Like you might be buying property and then all of a sudden... Like, yeah, Timmons is saying, I don't, want a, I don't want fair market value for my... I don't want these people driving across my yard, right? So yes, it's, an, it's a violation of the owner autonomy in some ways. Um, yeah, Laura? Um, if you just get to the point where the transaction costs are so high because it's a bilateral monopoly, it seems to be a way to break up the monopoly and get a third party in there to sort of mediate. Sure, it does. It clearly, and that's clearly what it's intended to do, is, to, is for these types of situations, for whatever reason, the parties don't seem to be able to reach an a agreement, uh, and so we have a, another path that you can go down. And the question is whether you think that that, that ability to break through um, the bilateral monopoly situation is, is worth it, given the cost to sort of owner autonomy um, uh, and so forth. So if you grant the easement, how does liability work on that strip of road? So if a tree falls on a car or something, so B have, or Schwab's have the easement, but it's actually on Timmons' property, and so how does that, how does liability Yeah, so my, I mean, I don't know for sure, and it probably varies a lot by state, but my, it's, remember, easements are use rights. They're not full-blown bundle of stick property rights, so the underlying ownership is still uh, the person who, who, uh, uh, owned owns the property, and you just get a use right. 
And it's usually not even an exclusive use right. I mean, if you give me an easement to your driveway, that means we both use the driveway. Um, my argument would be you're still responsible for people who slip and fall in your driveway. Okay, Warsaw versus Chicago Metallic. Abina, she, she left, right? She, she had to go. Uh, Peter, Peter Wu. All right, Peter. Um, all right, so uh, um, in this case, there are two parking lots uh, down the road from each other. Good. Um, so basically, the delivery trucks can't stack onto uh, uh, A's workshop without driving over the part of B's land. And so they do this for more than five years, which is the uh, requirement for a particular easement. Mm -hmm. And uh, so then A decides to build another building that's on B's land um, as part of the easement, which, is, which they say is, is theirs. Okay. Yes. Well, you're not getting the full flavor of the... Disaster that befalls the true owner here, right? All right, so so you're exactly right, which is the the trucks can't get into the warehouse, so they have to sort of swing and sometimes drive over a portion of of here the the true owner uh, their um, uh, property, right? So a, a strip there, um, and uh, the the owner they try right to get get the the right to do so. What do they try and do? Uh, the, the, the true owner or the... No, the, the adverse user here. Well, he does in the end, but let's, let, what does he try and do even before the prescriptive easement? I mean, he recognizes this is a problem, right? And what does he do? He goes to the true owner and says, let me buy an easement, right? Let me purchase an easement or outright purchase the five feet of property that I need, and for reasons we don't fully know, the true owner says no. Of course, we realize later that the true owner had plans to do what? So in the, the way that this all plays out is really deeply unfortunate for the true owner. So the true owner builds a berm, right, to, as preparation for the site work for the new, bigger warehouse that they want to put up. Apparently they're going to put up a warehouse that's going to expand in this territory. Uh, and so they put up, they start doing earthwork and they put up a berm. And so immediately the adverse user sues, right? Uh, and, and what happens when they initially sue? Anybody see this? This is sort of... Good. On the use of that land. And Good. They, and that motion is denied. Good. So what does that mean? So then the true owner thinks that, okay, there's not going to be injunction eventually, so continues to develop that area of land. Right, because in order to get a preliminary injunction, you have to show what? Uh, is this a, have you done this in CivPro? I don't know. Yeah. Yes? All right, so good. This is, this is excellent. Review. See, you get property and Civ Pro and contracts all in one class. Uh, 
likelihood of success on the merits, right? So the fact that the, that the preliminary injunction was denied should suggest to the true owner that the adverse user is not, in fact, going to succeed on the merits. So they go ahead and do what? They build their building, right? So they go and build their building. This gets appealed, and then what happens? They eventually lose. They lose, which means? Exactly. They get to take the building down in order to let this person for free use their land forever. <laughs> so this is, this is not a happy day for the true owner by any uh, sense of it, right? All right, so how do you get a prescriptive uh, easement? Prescriptive easement. Peter. That's our statute of limitations. What else? So you need to be using it open and notoriously. What else? Um, open and notorious, adverse. Yeah. Good. Note that it does not necessarily have to be exclusive, right? Because easements are, again, just a use right. They do not need to be an exclusive right. Other than that, it's pretty much like adverse possession. It's just a use adverse possession rather than a property ownership type of adverse possession. How come it leaves out actual? It also includes actual and exclusive. Yeah, actual and exclusive usually means you're literally sitting there physically. And here, since it's a use right, you're on and off all the time, right? So it's, remember, it's a different kind of right you're seeking. You're not seeking the full bundle of sticks. You're just seeking that one stick, right? Um, so it's, it's otherwise, it's a lot like, like adverse possession. You need to show the various elements uh, and, and that the statute of limitations has elapsed and, and you, should, you, that's, you get the easement. And that this easement could potentially, a prescriptive easement can potentially last forever uh, unless you stop using it uh, and it gets sort of uh, uh, taken back. Why does it extend all the way up and down and not just that particular Yeah, so it's not... It's not clear what the court actually held with respect to this. Um, the adverse user claims that they've been using that whole slot the whole time. Uh, it's not clear whether the court ultimately decided they did. I don't know that I think this was easier for me to draw than to try and do it. So as a, as a matter of fact, probably it's just the yellow. Whatever they were actually using on a re regular and repeated basis is what they get. Um, it might be easier for purposes of recording deed or whatever to just say you get the five feet immediately to the west of your property line, just because it's simpler, rather than an arc like that. Why did the true owner ever file for an injunction to get them to stop using it since they had been trying to contract and they kept doing it even though they told them not? Curious, isn't it? Right. So I mean, so this is the question: What do you do as a true owner to prevent this from happening? Right. So one is. You sue them, right? You, you call the cops, say, get off my land um, and, and stop it at some point. And this is especially because it's outrageous that they came and said, let me purchase the, the easement. And you say no, and then they just go ahead and use it anyway, right? I mean, it seems like at that point you should do something. Um, but they didn't. And reasons, I have no idea, other than they did not do it. Put up a fence, uh, or, or or built the curb, or pushed the berm out there earlier. Um, and why do you think they didn't do that? No idea. Maybe they're trying to be neighborly. Maybe they weren't actually using the land. They didn't see much harm in it. They didn't realize the problem. 
Yes, exactly. So that's probably the cheapest way. You don't even have to pay for the fence if you do that, right? You just simply send the letter saying you have my uh, permission, which I can revoke at any time, right? So you give them essentially a license um, to, to use that, uh, uh, you know, and you just give them the letter, and that should solve uh, that issue. Any other ideas of what they could do? Right? So you could use a variety of techniques. Reasons that the true owner didn't do it, I have no idea. But they, it's this inability, I guess, to see down the road. I mean, this is one of the things that as, as lawyers you're going to have to do is try and see down the road that unless they take these steps that this can potentially happen and that, um, you know, it certainly seemed reasonable that they were going to win after they got the preliminary injunction denied, but that uh, didn't happen. So the Supreme Court here implements a property rule. What's the justification for that? I mean, it's, doesn't that seem just deeply, deeply unfair that not only does the adverse user get to force the true owner to tear down the brand new building, right? But they get to do so for free. They only have to pay a penny for this um, uh, forever, right? They've essentially, uh, I mean, they don't, they don't get the land, but they get the use rights. And, it, and they can't, you know, the true owner can't put up a fence now. They can't build a building. They can't plant flowers. Justine? Um, I think the court kind of held that in this case, the true owner was acting in somewhat of bad faith because they knew that the other person was trying to get an easement, so they built this building after knowing that the person might have an easement. And they also said that to have... Or if not bad faith, at least they're being reckless in some way, right? Yeah. Right, yeah, but of course that's sort of circular, right? And the reason you don't have to pay for it is because we decided you don't have to pay for it. So, um, so yeah, I mean, what is? So what do you think that, I mean, you're right. Easements, prescriptive easements are different. They're not, we don't require people to pay their property rules. They're not liability rules. Why not just have a, a rule saying, look, if you're going to get a prescriptive easement, if you're going to take an easement from your neighbor, you pay. Okay, why? Um, it rewards action, taking, using, or sort of maximizing the utility of the land as soon as possible. And so it's rewarding the person that does that. Okay, so it's rewarding the, the, the adverse user here for saying, give me, you know, let me use, I'll pay you money, and then the guy saying no, and then I just do it anyway? In this case, because the true owner isn't using that. Okay. Yeah, so much like adverse possession in that way, right, where we are going to reward people who actually put land to use to the extent there are uses that are not being made of particular pieces of land. Maybe we will allow, I'll give incentives for people to go ahead and use them, or at least not disincentivize that. Good. Mm -hmm. um, the court also said that it will, it's supposed to reduce litigation and protect the peace. Okay. And how would this reduce litigation? Um, well, apparently it's supposed to... Okay. Yeah, maybe. Well, I mean, they, but here they don't have to pay. Well, they're not going to pay. But I guess you know, again, this uh, the general idea, which I suppose is what the court means, is that if we if we have very clear rules, people, you know, they won't litigate about the damages or how much and things like that. Uh, because there would be, if we did have a liability rule, it would be a little tricky about how much money to charge, right? Because you know, at the time the use starts. 
how much is this land worth? Well, not very much because nobody's using it. Right? There's, it's just there. Now, at the time, now that the true owner wants to build a warehouse on that land, it becomes a lot more valuable because it's got you know, an actual use attributed to it. So which, which amount is the right amount to allocate for uh, liability purposes? So um, anyway, courts are, are uh, very well. Courts always use property rules, basically, for uh, easements. And again, Part of this is, is uh, historical, uh, but I think a lot of it is because it's very similar to adverse possession. We want to reward people uh, for making uses of land uh, when other people are sleeping on their rights and to penalize people who don't take efforts to keep people off their uh, land and use it to their maximum value. All right? All right. You guys look really sleepy today. So <laughs> see you tomorrow.